Before we begin this episode of the Going Deutsch podcast, we have to start with the news that Andreas Bremer has passed away aged 63. Andreas Bremer had a long and successful career in the Bundesliga. He played for the likes of Saarbrücken, Bayern Munich and Kaiserslautern. He will most be remembered in his club career for appearing for the latter club where he made 174 appearances over two spells. He also had spells outside of Germany with Inter Milan and Real Zaragoza. Over his club career, he would win the Bundesliga with Kaiserslautern and Bayern Munich, the Zweite Bundesliga and the FB Pokal also with Kaiserslautern and Serie A and the UEFA Cup with Inter Milan. However, it's probably for his appearances for Germany which Andreas Bremer will be most remembered. He made a total of 86 caps for the German national team included in that he would score in the semi-final of Italia 90 against England and he would score the only goal of the game in the 1990 World Cup final as Germany beat Argentina. I hope you'll join me in extending your thoughts to the friends and family of Andreas Bremer during this incredibly difficult time. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Going Deutsch podcast, a look at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by someone who has spent the entire week consoling tennis ball manufacturers. They've been heartbroken and understandably so, they've been ringing me up, they've been texting me, emailing me going, we've been in this business all the way since December 2023, our family's entire livelihoods are in this industry and we just don't know what we're going to do now because our entire life's worth, our fortune has been completely destroyed by the news over the last week and yeah, it's a really tough time for the tennis ball manufacturers of Germany so spare a thought for them. Anyway, it's been quite the eventful week in the world of German football. I think it's safe to say that. We've had quite a lot of surprising news stories come our way over the last few days, and we'll be going into them well, pretty much immediately. But anyway, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. Remember, as always, to go to the Going Deutsch website, which is in the description to this podcast. Included in my recent articles are... Comments on The Investor and comments on Thomas Tuchel, which is what we'll be starting with in this episode. So let's get straight into the news before we start talking about the games. And of course, the big news story that we have to talk about, the DFL have announced that The Investor will be scrapped. The protests have finally taken their toll. Obviously, last week, I, I talked about this on the podcast, the DFL sort of were hinting at the idea of having a re-vote but they've decided that, well, clearly in their mind, that would be too much hassle, and they've decided to just stop the entire thing dead in its tracks. To some extent, we've won. German football fans have won. I say we, but obviously I had I had nothing to do with this. I wasn't throwing tennis balls because I'd need a really powerful throw to get them to land in stadiums in Germany from where I live in the UK. But... The fans have won, the fans have got what they wanted, the DFL is not going ahead 
with the investor. Hans Joachim Vasker said in a statement, quote, successful continuation of the process does not seem possible in view of current developments. Even if there is a large support for the necessity of a strategic partnership, German professional football is in the midst of a test which not only provides great conflicts within the league association between the clubs, but partly also within the clubs, between professionals, coaches, club managers, supervisory bodies, member meetings and fan communities. The sustainability of a successful contract in the sense of financing for 36 clubs can no longer be ensured in view of the circumstances in the league association. As I mentioned on the article, it all started going wrong for the DFL last week. Blackstone announced they were pulling out of the bidding process. We talked about this on last week's episode of the podcast. They blamed it on the reluctance of Bundesliga clubs and, of course, the ongoing fan protests. And then the cartel office said they were going to be looking into the 50 plus 1 rule following the controversy surrounding Martin Kind and Hanover's vote. And this was referred to again in a DFL statement. They said, quote, the December vote is considered to be legal within the Presidium and according to the assessment of legal experts. Nevertheless, it must not be overviewed that this vote is lacking in broad acceptance due to the events around Hanover, Sex and Neunzig. So obviously this is a big success. Like I said, the protests for the fans have been continuously doing since December, since the vote went through, have been effective. So, I do have a few notable concerns. First of all, I I think that if the DFL try a vote of this kind again and make it a secret ballot again, that would be absolutely insane. This whole controversy has shown that they cannot use secret votes, particularly on matters like this because it's going to lead to these problems again and again and again and it is going to put the 50 plus 1 rule under strain no matter what they think the other thing for me is that they've not officially shelved it they've just said they're not pursuing it and obviously if there had been a revote in march and if the clubs i expect they would have turned it down this time just because of the protests that would mean the dfl clearly do not have a mandate and officially wouldn't have a mandate to pursue the investor at the moment they currently technically do and normally i would say that people aren't stupid enough to try and claim oh well we've actually still got the mandate from december so we're just going to pick it back up again but it is the dfl so maybe maybe they do think that and when you look at the statements from the likes of Hans Joachim Vasker, from Axel Halman, who was on that Satchwell Sports Studio this weekend, they seem to say, oh, well, we know it's a great idea. We just haven't conveyed it properly. And that, for me, is a, another big worry in the sense that they might just go, oh, you just don't get it, and try and force it through. Obviously, if they do that, then the protests will kick off again. And I think if the fans feel the need to protest... Further, they will be even greater than they were before and we'll see a lot of games started to be called off because of the investor protests. But at the moment, we're not there. At the moment, we can at least celebrate temporarily. Bearing in mind the... I think I mentioned this on the article. The Super League is still trying to rumble ahead in the background, trying to destroy football... And I have no doubt that the guys of the DFL behind this will be desperate to try and pick up the investor plan again. 
we are just going to relax for the time being, though, and celebrate the fact that we don't have to talk about The Investor for at least two weeks on this podcast. I am very glad about that. Let's move on into some actual football news. And it was announced at the end of last week that Thomas Tuchel will be leaving Bayern Munich at the end of the season. Obviously, he had a disastrous week before that where Bayern Munich were comfortably beaten 3-0 by Bayer Leverkusen. They then lost 1-0 to Lazio in the Champions League where they didn't have a single shot on target, which is still absolutely fascinating to me. And then the game last weekend, a 3-2 defeat to Bochum, which you know, Bochum, so not exactly ideal, and the tension in the team, the near fight between Joshua Kimmich and one of Tuchel's assistants, Salts Love, the comments that had been leaked to Sky Sports and to The Athletic, where you have Tuchel allegedly saying that he's going to have to reduce himself to his team's level, and then you have the Athletic quoting a senior member of Bayern's leadership saying that he hasn't been able to connect with the players meant that his position was pretty much untenable, like I said in last week's episode. And I think this was the only conclusion that Bayern Munich could really come to. Now, I want to be fair to Thomas Tuchel because I know I've been kind of one-sided through all of this. I've been talking about why he is a problem. I will admit he's not the only problem at Bayern Munich. Obviously, I I think I did say this in the last episode, there were problems with Julian Nagelsmann as well, where the team didn't seem to be entirely in favour of Nagelsmann. And we'll never know what happened over that week at Sarbanestreza, where... Bayern decided to remove him as the head coach for Thomas Tuchel. But clearly there are problems with the team as well. And that's always been the case at Bayern Munich. The mentality of the players there has always led to problems. But whilst there are other things to fix with Bayern, and whilst there probably does need to be a removal of quite a few of the players so they can get in some fresher players who are going to be able to contribute to the team better, that wasn't going to happen whilst Thomas Tuchel was the manager. Those issues at Bayern that aren't Thomas Tuchel's fault still weren't going to be mended whilst Thomas Tuchel was the head coach. So I very much agree with the decision to remove him. They are doing so at the end of the season, which is a bit confusing because they could have hired an interim manager perfectly well. I did see a few people saying that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was going to become the new interim manager, and that that would have been funny, though I think really sound thinking from Bayern, and, and here's why, because if you Google Ole Gunnar Solskjaer Bayern, you know what's going to come up, and it's the most heartbreaking moment Bayern might have had in their entire history. But if they had made him the interim manager, if you then googled Ole Gunnar Solskjaer Bayern, it would have been about him being the Bayern manager instead. So really good thinking, trying to erase that goal off the internet. I, I think that's a good move, but it's one they've decided to not pursue. There were a lot of rumours as well about Hansi Flick potentially coming back to manage Bayern in the interim. Hmm... Not sure about that. Obviously, Flick's success with Bayern absolutely cannot be questioned because he managed to do something with that Bayern Munich side that only Pep Guardiola's Barcelona have done. And when you're in a group with just Pep Guardiola during his time at Barca, 
you're you're in a good group. You've done well. So his success at Bayern can't be questioned, but whether he would be a good interim replacement or a good long-term replacement is really hard to say. This is not the same Bayern Munich squad that he had. And I think whichever manager is going to take the job once Tuchel leaves this summer, is going to have a bit of a rebuild on their hand. Obviously, the legendary players that have brought so much success to Bayern Munich over this last decade and a bit are on the wrong side of 30. And the rest of the team around them, bar Harry Kane and Jamal Musiala, maybe Alfonso Davis, Matisse Tal, are not great. So there is definitely a lot of team building that needs to be done, not just in the sense of bringing in more talented players, not just in the sense of having a bigger squad, which has been a problem for Bayern Munich all season, but also in the sense of building the morale and the spirit of the team up, trying to once again shred that FC Hollywood label that for a while it looked like Bayern Munich had shaken off, but nope, drama is always just around the corner when it comes to the record meister. So I don't entirely envy the job that the new manager has, and nor do I think Thomas Tuchel is to blame for everything, but Tuchel had to go. His position was becoming very quickly untenable. I have seen a lot of people suggest Jose Mourinho to become the new manager. Please, please do Bayern, 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 Bayern. Please make Jose Mourinho the manager. It would be so funny. It would be absolutely hilarious. I think we all want it. We all want it because even if they win the Bundesliga with Mourinho, which they probably do because he is a talented manager... It would just be hilarious. It'd be a non-stop circus. It'd be absolutely... It'd be FC Hollywood times a thousand. And I am absolutely here for that. But, yeah. Moving in a new direction, and that was the correct call for Bayern. They are looking to the future. The German national team are looking to the past, though, as Tony Crows has announced that he is going to return to international football with the up coming international fixtures taking place at the end of March. He retired from international football originally in July 2021, but he's decided to reverse that decision. He said in an Instagram post, quote, I'll be playing for Germany again from March. Why? Because I was asked by the coach and I'm up for it. I'm sure that much more is possible with the team at the European Championship than most people think right now, which doesn't say a lot because... Everyone's expectation of the German national team is quite low. So, anything... I think even getting out of the group stages, people will be happy with it. So, yeah, not a lot expected from them at this Euros. Though, the return of Tony Kroos is obviously a big boost to them because he's still playing well for Real Madrid. And being able to keep his position in that side with so many other talented midfielders, including obviously everyone's favourite midfielder, Jude Bellingham, is significantly impressive. He had a really good game this weekend against Sevilla, a game that was absolutely not controversial in any way, shape or form whatsoever. And don't ask Real Madrid TV about that because I'm sure they'll just say it's a conspiracy or something against Real Madrid because everything's a conspiracy against Real Madrid on Real Madrid TV. Anyway, that's really not the point of this segment. I do think Tony Crowes will be a really good member of the German national team. I think he'll do really well in this system under Julian Nagelsmann. And yeah, this is some great news for the national Mannschaft. 
Moving on to our final story, Stefan Baumgart is the new HSV manager. He was one of the favourites for the job, if not the favourite for the job, as soon as Tim Walter was fired. I said there were a few concerns with him, particularly about the fact that he doesn't like working with players who don't speak German. But still, he is a really talented manager. He's shown that over his time at Köln and Paderborn and others. And I do think he'll be a success for HSV, unfortunately. Okay, time to go into the actual football then. And it's time to start off with going Deutsch, goes Continental. For more about the games I'm about to discuss, remember to go to the Going Deutsch website. Link in the podcast description as already mentioned. Though I went into the games on the website in more detail than I'm about to here. We had the second legs of the games in the Europa League and Europa Conference League. As well as a new Champions League tie for us to talk about. We're going to start off with that PSV 1, Borussia Dortmund 1. Another game where Dortmund disappoint. It was probably going to be a tough atmosphere. PSV are a side who have not been in the knockout stage to the Champions League in eight years and the Philips Stadion understandably electric for this match. Really good football for the opening stage. Just really good attacking football from both sides. But Dortmund were the team who eventually took the lead. Daniel Marlin scoring against his former club and he didn't celebrate for that reason. PSV in the second half were clearly the better side and it felt like they were going to get something out of this game though they shouldn't have got something out of this game in the way that they did. PSV got a penalty, Malik Tillman going down in the box under a Matt Hummels challenge but it was quite clearly a dive, Hummels got the ball, Tillman did not get enough contact to justify going to ground in the way that he did. Yet, the referee decided to give a penalty for me. Absolutely the wrong decision. I know that this is a German football podcast and therefore you might expect me to be biased towards the German side. Though, I think anyone who watched that game and saw that penalty would agree that it should have never been given. Luke de Jong would score. Do you remember Luke de Jong? He used to play for Barcelona. It was a very weird time. He did also play for Borussia Mönchengladbach in Germany as well, but I primarily remember him for somehow playing for Barcelona and no one really knowing why. I'm sure I praised him at the time though, because I, I remember writing weekly La Liga articles around the time he was playing for them. Anyway, really not the point, but he scored a penalty. PSV getting a vital draw that means they're still in the tie as they go to Germany to play in the Westfalen Stadion. Borussia Dortmund can't complain with the result on paper, but they can definitely complain about how PSV would eventually earn that draw. Moving on to the Europa League, Freiburg 3, Lons 2. That was also the score on aggregate after a goalless first game. Freiburg advancing to the next round. This was an absolutely fantastic game. Like I just said, the first leg finished 0-0, so I wasn't very optimistic for what this match would bring us. But oh boy, was it absolutely fantastic. The first half was a calamity from a Freiburg perspective. They went 2-0 down. Noah Atabolu would punch a cross straight out to David Costa, who was able to easily score. And then, and I'm going to apologise to this in advance because I'm definitely going to pronounce his name wrong, Vahi 
would find himself through on goal and out of time and he was able to chip Noah Atabolu to make it 2-0 and at that point it obviously felt like game over. Freiburg simply not good enough in the first half. Lons playing absolutely fantastically and capitalising on their chances but Freiburg started to build into the game in the second half. They finally got going in the 67th minute when Roland Salai would see his shot pinball off multiple players into the net. The hosts kept pushing after that and they would get an equaliser in the 92nd minute. Once again, Roland Salai getting the ball in the middle of the box and seeing his shot take a sizable deflection before going in. Despite missing a really good chance at the end of second half at a time, Mikhail Gregovic would score the third and final goal for Freiburg in extra time when he was able to round keeper Brees Samba. Yes, Brees Samba plays for Lons. I forgot that, to be perfectly honest. And he was able to tap in. So absolutely fantastic comeback from Christian Strike and company. They did get quite a bit of luck considering that both of their goals in normal time had deflections to allow them to go in. I don't think without those deflections they would have gone in. I think the keeper would have saved them Bree Samba. So they, they were looking in that regard, but their ability to keep pushing and to keep fighting, to believe that the game wasn't over, is testament to Christian Strike and to that entire Freiburg side. They've earned their place in the next round. Final game to mention Europa Conference League, Eintracht Frankfurt 1, Union saint Gilles 2. Union saint Gilles going through 4-3 on aggregate. Eintracht Frankfurt really shouldn't have been in this position because not only do they have a group where they really should have been finishing top, but also 2-0 up early on in the first leg. They should have really sealed the tie in Belgium and had an easier game in this one, but they couldn't. And this game was really bad from an Eintracht Frankfurt perspective. I will talk about it from an Union saint Gilles perspective later because I feel like sometimes these segments are too German orientated despite the fact that this is a German football podcast I do want to talk about the games in a unbiased and neutral way and that means talking about both sides in the same manner I don't want to become what BT Sports coverage of European football is like when there's an English team involved but anyway not the point I know they're not BT Sport anymore by the way but moving back to this game both sides were really nervy in the first half. Neither side were able to really get anything going. But in the second half, Union saint were definitely the better side. They they played really well. They came out of the gates fantastically and scored within two minutes. Mohamed Amorva breaking down the wing and eventually setting up the ball in the box for Cameron Puertas to slot in the bottom corner. Eintracht Frankfurt really didn't do much in a attempt to respond and eventually Union saint would double their lead in the 80th minute. Former Borussia Mönchengladbach and Ingolstadt striker Dennis Eckert chesting a cross before perfectly volleying it past Kevin Trapp. Absolutely fantastic finish from the striker who we didn't really see a lot of in Germany. He, like I said, he played for Borussia Mönchengladbach very rarely and in Goldstadt. So he applied most of his trade when he was in Germany in the Zweite Bundesliga and in the Dritte Liga. And yet it says a lot about Union saint Gilles recruitment. Obviously the same recruitment as Brighton's where they sign a player like Dennis Ecker and you think, oh wow, it's a really good move and he's going to be fantastic for them. And he has been. He's been 
well, at least in this game, really good. Diablo did get a goal back after that through Eric Dina Abimbe, but it was always going to be too little, too late. And again, we'll talk about Union Central while in a bit, but why this Europa Conference League campaign went so wrong for Eintracht Frankfurt really should be the question behind quite a lot of debate because realistically when you look at the squad I'm track Frankfurt have and I don't want to be too disrespectful to the Europa Conference League opponents but they really should have been progressing quite far in this competition but they were underwhelming in a group with PAOK, Aberdeen and HJK they I think I said in the preview for the group should have been getting 18 from 18 through those six games but they they were underwhelming there they Looked like they were going to coast to a victory against Neon San Juan, but they let their foot off the gas in the first leg, allowed them to get those two goals, and then in the second leg, far too unimaginative, nowhere near creative enough, and they did not deserve to go through in the end. Union Sanchez do deserve a lot of credit. We've already talked about it in terms of their recruitment, which has been absolutely fantastic, but the sort of run they've been on since getting promoted to the Belgian top flight. When I wrote my article, I think there were eight points clear at the top of the Belgian Pro League. And obviously, they did really well in their first year back in European competition. Actually, were they in European competition before this? I don't know. But their recent European campaigns, obviously last year, they knocked out Union Berlin. They got through to the quarterfinals of the Europa League where they were only knocked out by Chabi Alonso's by Leverkusen. And this year, playing fantastically once again, I do think they could seriously challenge for the Europa Conference League even though there are some pretty big fish in this competition who Union Saint-Gilois would have never dreamed of being able to compete against, but they very much are. Just rounding off then with the Europa League draw for the round of 16 and to be honest, really disappointing draw because Leverkusen have been drawn against Carabag and Freiburg have been drawn against West Ham and you might notice something that those two matches have in common. Yes, they are both matches that occurred in the group stage. Leverkusen had Carabag in their group stage and Freiburg had West Ham in theirs. Better news for Leverkusen than it is for Freiburg because if I'm correct, Leverkusen won both of their matches against Carabag and Freiburg lost both of their matches against West Ham. So hopefully from a Freiburg perspective, things change. Hopefully from a Leverkusen perspective, things don't. But anyway, with all of that said, it's time to go into the Bundesliga for match day 23 of the season. And we are going to start off with Bayer Leverkusen and their game against Mainz. Obviously, the stakes for Leverkusen were high in this one, not only because they are in a title race, I don't know if you know that, but also Bayer Leverkusen entered this game knowing that if they either won or drew, they would break the record for longest undefeated start to a German football season, which is exactly what they did. Bayer Leverkusen 2, Mainz 1, it's a new German football record, 33 undefeated matches to start a season. Absolutely exceptional. They've taken that record from Bayern Munich and they didn't do it in perhaps 
the easiest way, though the game never felt like it was going to end in a Mines victory. They got off to a very strong start. Granit Xhaka with an amazing finish to give by Leverkusen a 1-0 lead before pretending to be injured. He was holding on to his hamstring. The other players around him were looking concerned and then he walked it off. And I'm using air quotation marks there, but... Yeah, absolutely fantastic. What was funny was seeing Chabi Alonso's reaction to that because he was about to rush the medical team on to look at him and then he, he held them back and started laughing. So it was absolutely fantastic. Less hilarious from a Leverkusen perspective was Mainz's equaliser, Dominic Kerr heading in. That goal was started by a Nadia Mamiri free kick. Amiri, of course, is on loan at Mainz from Bayer Leverkusen. But notice how Chabi Alonso didn't complain and start going on about rules in England. Lessons can be learned from this, Thomas. We, we can learn stuff from how Chabi Alonso is approaching the game. I was going to go on a massive rant about Mainz following this game if they had got a point because this would have been the second year in a row where Mainz had got a draw away at Bayern's title rival to really help Bayern Munich. Obviously last year they helped a bit more than this year but it didn't matter because Robin Zentner wanted Bayer Leverkusen to win as he would spill an easy Robert Andrich shot into his own net in the ultimate example of saying if you don't buy a ticket, you don't win the raffle. I say that, but Robin Zentner did actually make quite a lot of great reflex saves throughout the game. He was absolutely fantastic and through large stretches of the match, he was the only guy really keeping minds in it. So... To look at this game and to think about Robin Zentner's mistake first and foremost is quite harsh on him. It's kind of like the, and I know I'm making an American reference and not many of our listeners are from the US, but it kind of reminds me of the Ernest Biner game in the NFL between the Cleveland Browns and the Denver Broncos where Ernest Biner, the running back, made a crucial mistake right at the end of the game that sealed the victory for the Denver Broncos over the Cleveland Browns. But what people forget about that, that has gone on to define his career. What people have forgot about that is that the Browns wouldn't have been in the game in the first place if it wasn't for how well Ernest Biner was playing up until that moment. So it is really harsh on him and it would be harsh on Zenton to just think of this mistake when analysing this game because if he'd not pulled out a few fantastic saves before that, this wouldn't have been the deciding goal for Bayer Leverkusen. Jessic Nankam was sent off for a bad challenge on Granit Xhaka. It wasn't malicious, but it was clearly the correct call. He was originally shown a yellow card by referee Timo Gerach, but all the referee had to do was... Well, for the VAR check, essentially look over his shoulder because the foul happened right next to the VAR screen. The referee was standing there after giving Nankam a yellow card. VAR told him to look at the monitor. I think it was Robert Hartman who was on VAR for this game. He told him to look at the monitor. And all he did was look over his shoulder, looked at it once and went, oh yeah, it's a red card. And then gave it to Nankam. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen a faster VAR review because all he had to do was turn around for a bit. Look, there was no drawing the box in the air and running over to the sideline. He just looked over and, oh yeah, and then gave him the red card. I've spent more time talking about the VAR review than it actually took for it to take place, put it that way. 
Another big win for Bayer Leverkusen, of course, they're taking another step towards the Bundesliga title. And because of the game we'll talk about later on, their gap with Bayern Munich has remained exactly the same at eight points for Mainz. They played really well in this game and they have definitely improved under Bo Henriksen. So there is reasons to be optimistic to go away to the league leaders to, well, one of the best signs in German football history at the moment based on the start they've made to the season. And to play as well as they did is genuinely impressive. By the way, just want to point this out for literally no reason whatsoever. The Das Actuelle Sports Studio commentator who was covering this game compared Bo Henriksen to William Braveheart. Sure, whatever. You you do you, buddy. Borussia Dortmund 2, Hoffenheim 3. Oh, boy. Jesus Christ. We have to talk about another underwhelming performance from Borussia Dortmund. It looked like... They had overcome adversity in this game and it looked like they were going to get the win for a while. They went down after two minutes thanks to Elias Babu scoring. No surprise here, but the Dortmund defence is to blame. Emre Chan tried to play a pass to Nico Schlotterbeck who just sort of waited for it. And before it got to him, Babu would steal the ball, run through, one-on-one -on -one, and slot past Mayer. I have no idea how the Dortmund defence is making mistakes as regularly as they are. Still, as I mentioned, BVB came back, they overcame that adversity. Um, both of their goals came from very close range. Daniel Marlin volleying in right in front of Oliver Baumann and then Nico Schlotterbeck making up for his mistake earlier on in the game by heading in a Marco Voice free kick. 2-1 of a half-time break. I don't think anyone could really complain about Dorman having the lead at that point, but they were unable to build on it in the second half against a poor Hoffenheim side, I think it's safe to say, over the last few weeks. Maxi Bayer scoring two in the space of three minutes, which did wonders for my fantasy side in the process. He benefited from a deflection for the first and then some horrific defending again from Dortmund for the second. I would expect more from a side at the top of the Bundesliga, unless, of course, they're Borussia Dortmund, because I am more than used to the fact that Dortmund cannot defend this season. Again, I've said it multiple times already in this review, the defending from Borussia Dortmund just is not getting better Considering the players they have, these are all talented players for the Bundesliga. Julian Mearson, Emre Chan, Nico Slotterbeck and Ian Matson were starting in defence for Dortmund in this game. And they're all really good defenders for this level. Obviously, as mentioned, Alexander Mayer was starting goal and he's not Gregor Kerbel. But to be honest, I don't think anything can really be blamed on him. I think it was the defence in front of him that were the bigger problem. And simply put, when it comes to this Dortmund side, the whole is not greater than some of its parts. And for me, that's probably coaching that is the cause of that. So we're back on the conversation of Erding Terzic. I know I've not mentioned him in a few weeks, but I don't think they're getting significantly better to the point where you can look at Terzic as a coach and say, well, yes, this is the guy who is taking Dorman in the correct direction and he should remain at the club as a consequence of these good performances. Now, we're, we're still in a position where Dortmund are at best underwhelming and at worst terrible, so something needs to change and I do think it is still the manager. By the way, for Hoffenheim, we should say that it's their first win in eight, which really does help to drive home the fact that Dortmund 
Should have won this game and yet managed to not do so. First defeat in 2024, but far more questions about the direction that Dortmund are heading in, especially when you also take into account that draw against PSV. Stuttgart won, Köln won, Stuttgart's run of four straight wins coming to an end this weekend thanks to Timo Schultz and Köln. Timo Schultz truly the best manager in the world and that's not bias, that's punditry. <laughs> Nothing to do with his St. Pauli connections at all. No Dennis Undav in this game but Sergio Gerasi was up front for VFB. He didn't do much. Stuttgart's only goal of the game would come in the 53rd minute from Enzo Milo. It wasn't enough though as FC equalised just nine minutes later. Linton Miner with a great cross for an open Eric Martel at the back post to slot in. Stuttgart were the better side but Köln fought for and deserved a point. It doesn't do much for them in the battle against relegation. They're only two clear of Mines in 17th and they're now eight points behind Bochum in 15th. So they do need a drastic turnaround if they want to avoid the relegation playoffs. So I think to be honest... The relegation playoff is their only route to safety. I don't think they're going to narrow that gap to Köln. I think the bottom three, barring maybe a Mines miracle, are secure in those three positions. So really it's all about getting into that 16th place relegation playoff and that is where Köln are at the moment. You wouldn't expect Stuttgart to drop points in a game like this though obviously they benefited from Dortmund losing from Leipzig losing as well, which we'll get on to later on. So six points clear of Borussia Dortmund and seven clear of Leipzig in fifth. Moving on, Werder Bremen won, Darmstadt won. Darmstadt were very close to winning their first game in 16. But unfortunately, they were not able to get that victory. They are still waiting for their first win since that 2-1 victory away at Augsburg on the 7th of October. Werder Bremen would open the scoring after 8 minutes. Christoph Zimmermann was so scared of Justin Jimmer scoring on a ground cross that he put it in his own net, which was an interesting move. <laughs> to be honest, it probably would have been a goal anyway because Jimmer, wide open of the back post, he would have easily tapped him. But why are you stealing a goal from Justin Jimmer? He's absolutely fantastic and he should be given all of the chances to score because he's great. But anyway, Tarmstadt would be level just past the hour mark. Julian Justvan with a good finish from outside the box into the bottom corner. Quite a bit of controversy in this game. The first big moment coming just before Darmstadt had their equaliser. Marvin Dutch went down in the box and the referee gave a penalty. However, when he looked at it on VAR, it was a clear dive by the striker. And it really breaks my heart to say that because obviously big member of the Marvin Dutch fan club. But... Not this time. The penalty was overturned and he was correctly shown a yellow card. I'm not angry, Marvin. I'm just disappointed. The second half had far more chances for Darmstadt. Tim Skarker had a goal disallowed for offside in the 78th minute. It was the correct call and it looked like the game was going to head for the draw until the 97th minute when Michael Zetter, the Werder Bremen keeper, rushed out of his box and just sort of gave the ball to Tim Skarker for the easiest goal of his career. That was definitely going to be the main feature on February's Cactor de Monat. It was one of the worst blunders of the season and Darmstadt had taken a 2-1 lead. 
or so we thought, because when Zetra hit the ball at Tim Skarka, it hit the midfielder's arm, which meant the goal was disallowed. Now, this might be controversial, and I don't really want to say this because I am a big Werder enthusiast, but this goal shouldn't have been disallowed, in my opinion. And this is one of those where it's important to stress that the current interpretation of the rules, I think, means the referee came to the correct decision. But I don't think the current interpretation of the rules is correct. To, to do this, I actually want to quickly talk about a different game. The next game of running order, which is Borussia Mönchengladbach 5, Bochum 2. Bochum had a goal disallowed in the first half, Bernardo scoring, but the goal was disallowed for handball, and I agree with that decision. Bernardo's arm was not in a natural position, it was raised away from his body, and the ball hit his arm, and for me the crucial factor is, if it hadn't hit his arm, it would have just sailed away wide, and... Therefore, Bochum would have had no chance to score. So, I do agree with that decision. I don't agree with the Darmstadt decision because, first of all, Tim Skarker had absolutely no time to move his arm out of the way. Bernardo most certainly did. But also, the key thing for me is that if his arm hadn't been there, it would have just hit him in the stomach and nothing else would have been different. The ball still would have landed perfectly at his feet he would have been able to get it around Zetiver and score so his arm does not impact the play at all in my opinion and again I want to stress that I think based on the current interpretation of the rule it was correct to disallow the goal I'm just saying that the handball rule should be written in such a way that that sort of goal isn't disallowed. For me, like I said, it comes back to the fact that Skarka's arm, whilst the ball does touch it, doesn't impact the play. If his arm wasn't there, he still would have scored. Whereas with the Bochum goal that was disallowed, if Bernardo's arm wasn't there, the ball would have sailed past the box and Bochum wouldn't have had a chance to score so I understand the frustrations from Torsten Liebenex and from Darmstadt regarding this goal I think it should be the sort of goal that does stand unfortunately for Darmstadt it did not absolutely devastating for them of course they remain rooted to the bottom of the Bundesliga table meanwhile this was not a useful result for Werder Bremen they lost ground in the race for Europe Borussia Mönchengladbach 5, Bochum 2, a great performance from Gladbach and obviously normally I think we'd react to a win against Bochum by going, eh, who cares, but this is a Bochum side who have just beaten Bayern, so maybe not fair on Gladbach to just shrug this off. They raced out into a 2-0 lead of the first half, a scrappy corner being first turned in by Christian Gamboa into his own goal and then again by Marvin Friedrich. But the goal was, for some reason, given to Nathan Ngomu. It was his header that was turned in by Gamboa, but it looked to me like his header was going wide and then Gamboa turned it into his own goal, but I, I don't know. Gladbach then scored a penalty through Julian Weigel. It seems to have been given for an Ivan Odets foul on Manu Kone, but I really struggled to see any significant contact. I watched it the first four or five times. I was like, I still do not know what it's been given for. Has it been given for handball? Has it been given for that foul? Because 
Kone definitely goes to ground. I don't know why he goes to ground. But yeah, apparently even Odets fouled Kone. I, I think it was really, really light. Gladbach weren't very good through much of the second half, but they did get a third in the 72nd minute. And Ngomu Cross hitting Rocco Wrights in the face and going in. He didn't head it. It just hit him in the face and then went into the goal. He had absolutely no clue about that. He did not contribute to that goal. But it, it does go down as a Rocco Wright's goal, so good for him. Bochum did flirt with the idea of a comeback for about three minutes. Philip Hoffman would score after slapstick defending from Defolen, But Gladbach would be 4-1 up just three minutes after that. Jordan heading in. Unlike Rocco Wright, he actually did head the ball as opposed to the ball just bouncing off his face. Really poor attempted save, though, by Manuel Riemann for that one. Kevin Slotterbeck would head in a second for Bochum in the 87th minute, but the gap went back up to three once more in the 96th minute. Frank Honorat scoring there. Gladbach are now eight clear of the drop. They've ended a run of five winless in the process, and they did so in a fairly impressive performance as well. Bochum also eight clear of 16, despite just one win in their last five, which, yes, came against Bayern. Did I bring that stat up just to mention the Bayern win another time? Yeah, 100%. Eintracht Frankfurt to Wolfsburg 2. It took just two minutes for the game to see its opening goal. Maxence Lacroix heading in after Kevin Trapp seemingly forgot that he could use his hands. He just sort of flailed his body at the ball and funnily enough, that didn't work. Still, it won't take too long for Frankfurt to draw level. Just 14 minutes on the clock when Ugo Ekitike would play the ball through to Philip Max for his first goal for the Adler. That seemed unlikely before the game, not as unlikely as the idea of Kevin Behrman scoring a football goal, but he did just that after 36 minutes. It's his first goal since August. So, you know, I think we all root for Kevin Behrman's. He seems like a really likeable player. His journey up the leagues has been inspirational, though his form this year has not been very good. He's a likeable player, so we're all going to be glad about Kevin Behrman scoring. Maybe not Frankfurt fans. But everyone else should be glad about Kevin Behrman scoring. Definitely not enough to get back in the German national team, especially with this guy called Dennis Undav, who has been destroying everyone in the Bundesliga over the last few months. The first half was great. The second half, not so much as Wolfsburg tried to hold on for the win, understandably so with the form that they're on. And also, it's not completely out of character for Niko Kovac to play uninspiring football. They weren't able to do it, though. In the 92nd minute, Omar Mamouche would come back to haunt his former club. It's his 10th in the league this season, which is double of what he managed for Wolfsburg last season, which really is starting to make me think it was a Niko Kovac thing last year. The form Mamouche showed at Wolfsburg, we've mentioned this before, but it wasn't particularly great. And of course, Niko Kovac was not entirely happy with his game. There was at one time, was it away at Bochum, where he subbed him on and then subbed him off like 20 minutes later because he wasn't happy with his defensive effort. While he's clearly fitting into this Frankfurt system a lot better 
for Dino Topmoller than he was in the Wolfsburg system for Niko Kovac. So I think everyone's won in that transfer. This result, though, no one won, and it doesn't help anyone in the end. Frankfurt are just four clear of Hoffenheim in seventh and six behind Leipzig in fifth. Wolfsburg now winless in eight, further proving my point that Niko Kovac is no longer working out for them. Union Berlin 2, Heidenheim 2, 3 was the magic number in the first half. Heidenheim took the lead after 3 minutes. Union's Kevin Vogt saw a looping header go into the path of Nikola Dovedan, who converted a one-on-one -on -one with Renault. Union though scored 2 in the space of 3 minutes at the end of the half. Robin Gersens with the first before an Andreas Schaefer long shot would deflect off Brendan Amundsen to wrong foot Kevin Muller and go in. There is some dispute over who the goal should go to, but I'm giving it to Amundsen for his second in two games, and I will fight anyone who disagrees. Fight me over this. I am firmly on Team Brendan when it comes to this matter, and I will defend that position until the day I die. By the way, I should probably talk about that in a non-joking way. So... I, I think the goal has been given to Schaefer because his original shot was on target. But I do genuinely think that it only went in because of Amundsen's deflection. Completely wrong footing Kevin Muller. I think he would have made the save on that shot. Overall, though, I don't think it matters because it's a goal for Union you know, Berlin and we'll be more than happy about it. We would have been even happier if it had given them the win. Before the goal, by the way, I should say, Rono got the ball at his feet at the other end and perfectly cut the ball back to prevent Bester from getting it before passing it out to begin that attack. So absolutely fantastic from the Union keeper. The only goal of the second half would be for Heidenheim. Long ball from Evan Dinchy, who's been playing fantastically this season, would land at the feet of Jan Nicholas Bester, who's also been playing fantastically this season, for him to chip over Rono and go in. Heidenheim are undefeated in five on the road. They are keeping up in the arguably race for European football, to be honest. I, I think they could actually make the Europa Conference League, not the aim, but they are playing absolutely fantastically at the moment. Union are still eight clear of the drop. Bayern 2, Leipzig 1, the one time in a season that we want Leipzig to win, and they do this. <sighs> Typical. Harry Kane goal count is up to 27. He got both of Bayern's goals in this game. The latter coming in the 91st minute to give the hosts all three points. Benjamin Sesko would score Leipzig's only goal of the game. It's his fourth in five Bundesliga matches and it takes him up to seven in the league. So as I've said a few times, he really is starting to adapt to this Leipzig squad, starting to adapt to life in the Bundesliga as well. And that is good for them, obviously. Two really young, exciting attackers for the future and both of them have been blossoming into their roles as the season has gone on. Overall, this wasn't a good game, to be honest. I, I was incredibly bored even just watching the highlights, to be honest. I, I saw the game back on Das Actuelle Sports Studio and even they were struggling to pick out exciting, interesting moments. Neither side did better than the other, and I don't think I have any extended confidence in either based on this game. I will say for Thomas Tuchel, he could have sulked through the entire match, knowing that he's going to be leaving Bayern Munich in the end of the year, but he does seem to still be actively involved 
in coaching them. And I think a lot of people would genuinely struggle with, I don't want to do a complete 180 and sort of look like I'm suddenly pro Tuchel and, oh, he should stay. He's fantastic. No, don't do that. But he, he did actually give his all as a coach in this game. And I think that's that's worth respecting. There were a few moments where it was kind of like Oliver Glasner at Eintracht Frankfurt last year after it was announced that he would be leaving the club at the end of the season where he was just like sort of looking a bit sad going, oh, I, I, I wish it wasn't like this. I wish I could keep this young, talented group of players. That's not the case for Tuchel, of course. There, there might have been a bit of that, but not really. Anyway, Leipzig remain out of the Champions League places following this game. They did get a big helping hand, though, later on in the week, of course, as Dortmund would lose to Hoffenheim. Final game to mention, then, from the Bundesliga, Augsburg to Freiburg 1. I am now worried about Freiburg. No winning five in the league and outside of that second half performance against Lawrence. They've not really done anything of note recently. They did take the lead, though, Vincenzo Grifo doing what he does best in scoring a penalty. But Augsburg had been the better side all game and would have been clear if it wasn't for an amazing performance from Noah Atabolu. He was definitely the man of the match through this entire game. Augsburg's first goal came in the 72nd minute following a great Atabolu save where Felix Udekai would score from the rebound. Eight minutes later, Arnie Engels would win the game for the hosts. It's Augsburg's first win in five and with that, they move nine clear of the drop. Speaking of, it's time to look at the Bundesliga table after 23 games. Bayer Leverkusen still lead the way. Of course they do. 61 points from 23 games games absolutely sensational and of course 33 undefeated in all competitions to start the season when they open their campaign against Tatonia Ottenson at the Milan Tour in August I don't think any of us could have expected that eight points behind them Bayern Munich are in second on 53 Stuttgart third on 47 and Dortmund fourth on 41 round out the Champions League places they are just one clear of Leipzig in fifth Frankfurt are in sixth on 34 points then, by the way, wonderful seeded batch. Between 7th and 15th, 7th placed Hoffenheim on 30 points. 15th placed Bochum on 25 points. I think all of them could quite easily make Europe uh, with the Europa Conference League spot. And it is worth mentioning, obviously, depending on how well German teams do in European competition, which probably isn't going to be that well, considering that Bayern Munich and Dortmund not great in the first legs of their Champions League matches, but there could be an additional spot, an eighth could go into Europe. And I, I know what you're thinking, I'm thinking it too, Werder Bremen and Heidenheim, European football party. We all want it, and, you know, it would be the best thing ever. So let's just hope for that. Anyway, the wrong end of the table, Darmstadt, bottom of the league, still on 13 points. Should they be on 15 instead? Well, I'll leave that up to you. Mines are on 15, though. They're in 17th place. And Köln on 17 points are in 16th place. It's an 8-point jump then up to Bochum in 15th place. And like I said, I think the bottom three are pretty secure in their positions. Player of the week. I'm going to be a bit controversial here. Because I don't think many people would have him down for player of the week. But I 
I think he deserves it. I'm going to give it to Max Verber of Borussia Mönchengladbach. He had a fantastic game against Bochum. And whilst we would expect Gladbach to beat Bochum, he was a rock of the back. He played absolutely exceptionally. And he also got an assist on one of Gladbach's goals as well. So absolutely fantastic from Verber. An all-round faultless performance. Okay, moving away from the Bundesliga then, and there's only one game we can start off with in this segment. St. Pauli travelling away to Kiel on the Friday 6.30pm kickoff, and it was a great game as well. Kalia Kiel to St. Pauli Schwei 3, a fantastic performance from St. Pauli Schwei. They have won their fifth game on the bounce. They went 3-0 up in the first half and did have to weather a storm towards the end of the game, but they did deserve to win. They're up in 8th place in the Regional League in order at the moment. They don't really have any chance of catching Hanover Schwei at the top of the table, but they are still doing quite well. Kilia Kiel, meanwhile, in the relegation play... Oh, hang on. My producer's just talking to me. What do you mean I've got the wrong game? Now, you said to me that we were going to start off with St. Pauli's away trip to Kiel that kicked off on Friday at 6.30pm. I cannot be mistaking that for any other game. What? There was another game in the Sveiter Bundesliga where St. Pauli were away at Kiel that kicked off at 6.30. Well, that seems unlikely. Oh, no, you're right. There was a game where St. Pauli travelled to Kiel that kicked off on Friday at 6.30 in the Sveiter. Okay, that's really the game you wanted me to talk about instead. Hmm. Okay, fine. Instead of covering the regional league and all, then it's time to stay awake as we go into the Spider Bundesliga. And we are going to start off with one of the two games where St. Pauli travelled away to Kiel on Friday at 6.30pm. Holstein Kiel 3, St. Pauli 4. The game last year between these two sides at Kiel's ground finished 4-3 in favour of St. Pauli as well. So this is starting to become a bit of a tradition. And to be honest, so long as the score remains 4-3 to St. Pauli, it's a tradition I am happy to keep going for longer. Dapo Afalion would open the scoring in this game. A good finish into the bottom corner. And I've mentioned the game that took place in the regional league Nord between Kalia Kiel and St. Pauli. What was interesting is that I, I looked at that game on Flash Score. I saw it was happening at, and I, I looked at it and thought, oh, it's kind of funny that St. Pauli's Fire also playing away at Kiel at the exact same time. And I, I clicked onto the game and the first goal scorer in that game was listed as Dapo Afalayan on my app. And I was like, I don't think he can be in two places at once, but apparently he'd score the opening goal for St. Pauli and for St. Pauli's Fire. About the same time in two different games. I, I think it probably is something to do with the fact that I think both goals went in within like a minute of each other. So the computer at the other end must have just got confused and thought Afalayan scored both goals. But it was really funny seeing him listed as having scored both goals. That has been corrected since, though, to be honest, I cannot remember who actually scored the goal now for St. Pauli's fight. Really not relevant, because, you know, it, it's not often we go into the regional league on this podcast, at least until the end of the season. But yeah, Dapo Afalayan scoring two goals in two different places at the exact same time. What a fantastic player he has been. Holstein Kiel did start to get back into the game after that. There was a really notable moment in like the 19th minute where they really should have got the ball over the line if it wasn't for 
a great save from Nikola Vasily at the exact right moment. It was maybe an inch from going over. So for him to have saved, it was absolutely fantastic. After a large amount of kill pressure, St. Pauli would get two in the space of three minutes to seemingly put the game to bed towards the end of the first half. Connor Metcalf with an amazing ground cross for Marcel Hartle to tap in. Then Dapo off the line would get his second of the game and seventh of the season after some great St. Pauli pressing almost immediately after the kickoff. I say seemingly put the game to bed, but of course I was not convinced of that because I am a pessimist. And my mood was made worse eight minutes into the second half when Shuto Machino would score the first for the hosts. Still, St. Pauli kept calm in the face of more kill pressure and got their three-goal lead back in the 57th minute. Aussie to Aussie as Jackson Irving played a great pass across goal for Conor Metcalf to slot under the keeper. I obviously was not any less pessimistic at this point, and again, my doubts would grow as Keel scored two. Joshua Mees with a good curling finish into the top corner, and Alexander Bernhardson scoring from the same area. It actually should be noted that all three of Keel's goals came from approximately the same place in the box to the right-hand side of the net, to the left-hand side if you were standing in the goals. So... Really not a great game from Carol Metz. I don't think Harkaval played well either in this match, though. Better than the last game between these two sides in Kiel, where he was playing for the other side and scored an own goal. Shortly before the announcement, he was going to sign for St. Pauli at the end of the season, which I found absolutely hilarious. You can go back and listen to that if you really want to. I don't know why, but that would be under the episode called Secret Agent Harker. Because it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Just a player scoring their own goal against the club and then immediately announcing afterwards he was going to sign for said club. The rest of the game was incredibly stressful. I'm sure any fan can appreciate that. But St. Pauli would hold on for the win. And it is a very vital win for the boys in Brown. They go six points clear at the top of the Spider Bundesliga. Obviously... I am not the sort of person who is ever going to celebrate until it's official. And I don't think St. Pauli are definitely going up yet. But this is a position that teams can only dream of at the start of the year. And to be honest, I do have to admit that there is a bit of hypocrisy in my analysis. Because you might know I'm a Leeds United supporter and they played against Leicester City on Friday they won 3-1 by the way really weird that the two teams I support were in games where it was first versus second on the same day so this game kicking off at 5.30 in the UK first versus second in the Spider Bundesliga and then after that game finished at would have been 8 o'clock I think Leicester Leeds kicked off, and that was also first versus second in the championship. I don't think I've had a day like that before as a football fan, and I don't think I'm going to see one again, to be perfectly honest. But my, my point of bringing up the Leeds game is that Leeds are now six points behind Leicester, and I look at the league table and I go, well, Leeds obviously aren't going to catch up with Leicester. It's, it's impossible. It's not going to happen. Whereas St. Pauli are six points clear at the top of the spike, and I go, well, that's not a safe lead at all. That could easily be blown away in the next few weeks. So, yeah, very different opinions on what a six-point lead means, depending on whether my side is chasing or the ones being chased.
like I said, though, this is a position that I don't think St. Pauli fans would have even dared to dream about at the beginning of the season. And I would have snapped your hand off to be in a position like this. And obviously, winning away at a promotion rival is a massive statement. It would have been an even bigger statement if it was more comfortable, but I'm not going to complain. Three points are three points. St. Pauli still playing fantastically this season. So long as they keep putting one foot in front of the other, they could get promoted. For Holstein Kiel, of course, this isn't the end of the world. They are still in second place, though the gap to first is expanding and the gap to third is narrowing. Greuther 2, Nuremberg 1, Franconian Derby going in the way of the host. They had a fantastic TFO before the game of what looked like the Monopoly Man several times. 10 out of 10 for me. Their performance on the pitch wasn't 10 out of 10, though at least not from the start. Sebastian Anderson giving Nuremberg the lead after 8 minutes for his first since joining the club in January. That, of course, was a good start for Nuremberg, but after that, they wouldn't have a single shot on target past the 25th minute outside of two, which I think would have both been given offside if they had gone in. One did, one didn't, but I think there were offsides in the build-up to both of them. Firth completely taking control of the game after Nuremberg had taken the lead. Armindo Sieb scoring both for his side. The first a powerful shot from outside the box in the 27th minute. The second a good half volley into the bottom corner in the 56th minute. Between those two goals, Jons Kastrop was sent off for a second yellow card for Nuremberg. A dumb push on Julian Green. Would Nuremberg have got a different result if Kastrop had stayed on the pitch? No, probably not. Greuther Firth really needed this win, not just because it came against a rival, always a big confidence booster, of course, but also because it ends a run of three straight defeats. They're still only three points behind HSV, more on them later. Nuremberg are now winless in five, and when we look at the league table, I think they're one of five clubs who are 99.9% .9 sure of their place in the Spider Bundesliga next season, because... They've been very middling through the season and for them to either go up or go down, they need to go on a really extraordinary run of form between now and the end of the season. I think the five teams who are absolutely secure in their position in the Spider Bundesliga are Hertha Berlin, Karlsruhe, Alversberg, Magdeburg and Nuremberg because... For them to realistically be under threat of going down, they would have to lose probably at least eight of their next 11 games. And the inverse is true for promotion. They'd probably have to get at least 28 out of a possible 33 points between now and the end of the season. And I just don't see that happening. Even with Nuremberg's bad run of form, I don't see them losing eight of the next 11. I think they'd have to get fewer than five points and obviously for promotion that's just definitely out of the question for the side like Nuremberg. I guess relegation isn't out of the question if they keep up their current form but I do trust Nuremberg to at least just do enough to squeeze themselves out of the relegation picture. Osnabrück won Hanover nil for the first time in 16 games. Osnabrück have managed to win! Yay! Their last win coming on the 22nd of September 
against HSV. This time they won against another promotion contender beginning with H. Eric Engelhart would score the only goal of the game. Hanover were the better side in every department except for the finishing department and it turns out it's kind of important to be better at putting the ball thingy in the net thingy if you want to win a game. This is a huge blow for them because of the results. They have fallen backwards in the race for promotion. They are now four points off HSV with 11 to go. Obviously, they can turn it around. They have had impressive games before this. They're on a long winning run before this match, which really should mean that they're beating a side like Osnabrück, but eh, apparently not. Sometimes I really don't know what Hanover are. I don't know what to make of them. Every time I start to feel more optimistic about this side, they, they go and do something like this. And I think it's always been quite hard to really put my finger on where Hanover are going to finish, what they're going to do on a game-to-game -game basis. And this is just another example of that. If they were just a bit more consistent, I think they would have probably been promoted by now, to be honest. But they're just never quite good enough to get promoted and either a bad run of form or lack of quality in one key area means their season just sort of fades away. Hopefully for them, that won't happen at this time, but hopefully for Martin Kind it does, because it'll be nice to see him miserable. Not that I'm annoyed at him for all of the stuff surrounding 50 plus 1 or anything. Osterbrook, of course, will not care about any of this. They finally got a win, just their second of the season. Does it mean that a push for survival is on? Eh, they're still 7 points off 17th with 11 to play they are also seven points off 16th which obviously is a relegation playoff spot and then nine points behind 15th which would be safety so yeah they'd still have to go on quite a remarkable run of form but i do think it is fair to say that uva koshinat has osnabrook playing a lot better than they were before he joined i slated his hiring at the time Mostly based off his time with Armenia Bielefeld before it. And obviously I also slated the hiring of Daniel Schöning at Eintracht Braunschweig because of how he had done at Armenia Bielefeld last season. You know what? Maybe this should teach me a lesson about it being an Armenia Bielefeld thing. But maybe if a manager fails at a club, it might actually be because the club are terrible, not because of the managers. I, last year when we were talking about Armenia Bielefeld, I painted... Their big problem is not getting their managerial appointments correct. They hired duds of managers. Maybe it was an Armenia Bielefeld thing after all. And maybe their problems in the Dritter League prove that as well. But this is not about Armenia Bielefeld. This is about Osnabrück. It is just the second win of the season. It needs to be the second of many if they are to stay up. Kaiserslautern nil, Karlsruhe for oof. It was Friedhelm Funkel's home debut as Kaiserslautern manager and he sure did make an impact. The sort of impact that is similar to your phone falling off a two-storey balcony onto concrete. Really bad performance from Kaiserslautern. I don't think that's too much of a surprise based off the final score. 0-0 in the first half. The second half just as goalless for Kaiserslautern but not so much for Karlsruhe. There was a really controversial moment early on in that second half when the score was still 0-0. Kaiserslautern's Philip Kaloch was given a yellow card for what looked like a deliberate elbow into the chest of Nikolai Rapp. For me, it definitely should have been a red. 
And the football gods seemingly saw it like that too as they enacted their revenge on the Red Devils just three minutes later. Marvin Banicek would open the scoring after a great through ball from Dennis Burnich. Igor Matanovic would then capitalise on a blunder from Julian Kral and Jan Alvedi to make it 2-0. Paul Nabel would outmuscle Alvedi, who really did not have a good game, to go on to the end of a Sebastian Young long ball to make it 3-0. And then Budu Zivzivadze would head in a fourth in added time. It's safe to say that this game was absolutely disastrous from a Kai Slouten perspective. They're winless in four. Their fans seemed less than thrilled when they were shouting at the players following the game. The atmosphere at Kai Slouten at the moment seems to be really, truly negative. One of the worst, if not the worst, sort of atmosphere in the Spice Bunch League at the moment. Maybe alongside Schalke. Both of them don't look like great places to be at at the moment. Karlsruhe have won their first game since putting four past HSV a few weeks ago and the first at the Fritz Walter Stadion over Betzenberg since October 1992. Like I said earlier on, I think there's very little chance of them either being promoted or relegated, though I'm sure fans will remember this game regardless. Magdeburg 3, Schalke 0, speaking of clubs that are depressing to be at at the moment. Schalke still lingering around the bottom of the Spiter Bundesliga table. All three of Magdeburg's goals came in the first half. Silas Nacker with a neat first touch for the opener. Mohamed Al-Hankuri scoring from the spot after Cedric Brunner brought down Tachuya Ito in the box. And then Ito himself would dart through the penalty area later on, slotting past Marius Muller for the third. Schalke were, I guess, better in the second half. Better's doing some heavy lifting there. They didn't do enough to even score, let alone entertain the idea of a comeback. They 100% deserved to lose this game, and as a result, they are just four points clear of the drop. Schalke Sports Director Mark Vilmot was asked about how dramatic the situation is. He said, quote, it's not dramatic yet, but we have to stay awake. I, I think it is dramatic, especially when you consider the circumstances of what Schalke's relegation would mean. The reports they might not even get a license for the Drittliga if they were relegated. Could be playing in the fourth tier, which by the way, would be below Borussia Dortmund's five. So you think that stuff with Deportivo La Coruña playing against Salta Vigo B in the Primera Division in Spain is depressing enough. Imagine being below your rival's B side. That would be even worse. I think it's more drastic than just having to stay awake and the mood of the club has most certainly been very negative over the last few weeks. That was confirmed by Paul Seguin, who in response to this result said, quote, I'm fed up and I don't take myself out. I'm sorry we play this beep every week. I'm just depressed. I hope there's a bang this week i i think that's a mistranslation we have to put eggs on the table i don't think that's a mistranslation but i do think that's a idiom for something else i don't know what schalke can do to be honest i don't think they can sack carol Goretz because not only would that mean more money to managers on gardening leave but also i don't think they'll be able to get a manager 
now who will be able to do better. So the situation not great for Schalke. They do need to turn it around quickly though. Hopefully not too quickly. Like maybe don't start your comeback next week. Maybe wait until the week after. And if you don't know why I'm saying that. You can guess who they're playing next week as a result of that statement. Eintracht Braunschweig won Hertha Berlin won the Braunschweig fans during the first half of this game in the side of the stadium opposite where the broadcast cameras normally are had a fantastic sort of... Tifo's the wrong word, but they were all wearing coloured ponchos or, or something like that and it meant that the entire stand spout out the term Fumsig und Eins bleiben 50 plus one stays really nice from them it looked for quite a while like Eintracht Braunschweig were on course for yet another win under Daniel Schoening who I've mentioned already has been fantastic since taking over at Eintracht Braunschweig. Fabio Kaufmann giving them the lead in the 14th minute after Hertha's attempt to play out the back went horribly wrong. Keeper Chark Ernst playing the ball out to Andreas Buchilakis, who then passed it straight to Kaufmann for the goal. Early in the second half, though, Fabian Reza would perfectly set up Ibrahim Mazza for the equaliser. Fabian Reza signing a new contract with Hertha Berlin this week until 2028, which is quite a surprise because... Like I said earlier, I think Hertha Berlin are more or less confirmed of their position in the Spider Bundesliga next year, unless they go on the run to end all runs to get promoted between now and the end of the season. And Fabian Reyes made no secret of the fact that he wants to play in the Bundesliga, and who can blame him? Because definitely over the last two years, he has been one of the best players in the second tier. He has earned that opportunity. He signed with Hertha Berlin. In January of last year, expecting that he would be playing in the Bundesliga, though of course they were relegated and he finds himself in the second tier still. So yeah, I was a bit surprised to find out that he had signed a new contract, because I think if he had decided not to, Hertha Berlin may have been forced to sell him to a Bundesliga club this summer, because they would have been offered so much money as to essentially force their hand, but he's decided to stay at Hertha Berlin, and... I'm not going to blame him for it because it might be fantastic playing for Hertha Berlin. Playing in the Olympia Stadion every week must be absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, his decision to stay came as a bit of a surprise, but maybe it shouldn't have been. Hassan Kovakai was sent off in the 77th minute for a bad studs showing challenge on the knee of one of the Hertha Berlin players. I don't know how he had the nerve to act surprised for that. Hertha struggled to generate meaningful chances after the red card despite their possession. A draw was probably the correct result. HSV won Alversberg nil. As mentioned earlier, it was the first game in charge for Stefan Baumgart and his side got off to a winning start. Ransford Yeboa Kerningsdorf would get the only goal of the game, his first since the 2021-22 season. Obviously, he was injured for the overwhelming majority of the 2022-23 season and he's been struggling to find his feet in this HSV side so far this season. So hopefully the appointment of a new manager for his sake leads to an improvement in his performances because I actually thought he was a, a good player for Dinamo Dresden and a decent player in his first season at HSV as well. But he's not been at that level this year and 
for his sake, it'd be nice to see him return to those heights. HSV were the better side afterwards, but they were unable to get the goal that would have put the game to bed. Alversberg didn't really threaten, though. Their one great chance coming from Hugo van der Meersch in the 88th minute, though it wouldn't have stood if it had gone in due to an offside. Baumgart has started strong in the north of Germany, and of course, he had his flat cap, this one, with the HSV logo, the fashion icon, back in the Zweite Bundesliga. Vehen won Paderborn 2 for the second time this year. Vehen went 1-0 up against Paderborn for the second time this year. Paderborn turned it around. Franco Kovacevic giving Vehen the lead on the half-hour mark. But goals by Cohen Costons in the 39th minute and Philip Bulbia in the 82nd minute would give Paderborn all three points. Aaron Zentner had a great through ball for that winner, worth watching. It was an even game in the first half, but close to no contest in the second, and no one can complain about a Paderborn win. It's three wins in 4-4 Paderborn, they're still in the promotion race, just four points off HSV. Meanwhile, Vehen are winless in four matches. Final game from the Zweite Bundesliga for Tuna Dusseldorf 2, Hansa Rostock 0. Goals from Felix Klaus and Altenacker allowed Dusseldorf to get a fairly comfortable victory. And both goals, absolutely brilliant. The Klaus goal, fantastic outside the foot volley into the top corner. And Tanaka's was a great finish from outside the box. So it's really worth watching the highlights of this game, even if you have to watch Hansa Rostock, which, you know, isn't the best thing on planet Earth. Bar a Juan Pereira goal that was disallowed for offside, Hansa weren't clinical enough to really threaten. Dusseldorf remain in the push for promotion, Rostock remain in the relegation places. Anyway, let's have a look at the Spider Bundesliga table then. After 28 games, St. Pauli lead the way still, 48 points. They are now six clear of Holstein Kiel following the match between the two sides, resulting in a St. Pauli win. HSV a third, one point behind Kiel on 41. Then Greuther fourth, fourth on 38. Hanover fifth on 37. Paderborn 6th on 37 and Fortuna Dusseldorf 7th on 36 points. At the wrong end of the table, Osnabrück did get a vital win this weekend, but they are still last 15 points and 7 behind Hansa Rostock in 17th on 22. The same number of points that Kaiserslautern have in 16th place. It's then a two-point jump up to Eintracht Braunschweig in 15th, Schalke in 14th on 26 points and Vehen 13th on 27 Player of the week in the Spider Bundesliga. A lot of players could have earned the award this week. But I have decided to give it to Dapo Afalayan. Not for being in two places at once and scoring in two different games that kicks off at the same time. But for the two goals he did actually score for St. Pauli in their win against Holstein Kiel. Moving on into the Dritter League for match day 27 of the season and starting with the top of the league, Jan Regensburg were involved in a nine-goal thriller last week. Did they follow that up this week? No, or nine, I guess. A 0-0 draw with Ezeba GR, which means the leaders are now winless in three. Second place Dynamo Dresden also dropped points. They've won one of their last five. Remember when I said the promotion race was over? <laughs> I wish you didn't. They drew two all with Rot Vice Essen, who dropped to sixth. 
Ulm also dropped points. The gap remains at two following a 0-0 draw with Ingolstadt. They're five clear of fifth-placed Prussian Munster. They won their third in a row thanks to a 3-1 victory over 18th-placed Duisburg and they're now undefeated in eight. Between them are Borussia Dortmund Schwei, who obviously cannot get promoted. If you're new to the Dritter Liga, no second side are allowed to play in the Spider Bundesliga. Though they won a 4-3 thriller against Unterhashing, Ole Polman's 88th minute goal winning the match for the Young Guns. At the wrong end of the table, Freiburg's Fai have won another game. I can't believe it. It's two wins in a row thanks to a 1-0 victory against 17th place Waldhof Mannheim. Tennis Borussia Berlin legend Maximilian Bruining scoring his third goal in two games after two last week. They are still 12 points off safety though, so I still don't think they're going to stay up. It's a hot take, but I, I don't think they're going to do it, unfortunately. Lubeck are in a less positive mood than Freiburg's Fire. Their 3-0 defeat to Hallescher means they're winless in six. Hallescher themselves, meanwhile, are now four clear of the drop. Armenia Bielefeld are five clear. They drew one all with Saarbrücken. They thought they had the win in the bag, though, but a 94th minute equaliser from Simon Steller prevented that. Rounding off the podcast then with top spiel, Das Wochenende, all times given in Central European time. If you're in the UK, remember to knock off one hour. In the Bundesliga, I'm going to go with Hoffenheim against Werder Bremen, which might seem like a bit of a hot take at first. It might not be everyone's first choice because games with Hoffenheim aren't normally anyone's first choice. But Sunday, 5.30pm kickoff. And this game is really important in the race for Europe. Hoffenheim 7th on 30 points. Werder Bremen 8th also on 30 points. 7th is almost certainly going to be the Europa Conference League spot. And 8th might be the Europa Conference League spot if Germany get the extra place from the coefficient, which we don't know yet. It depends on how German teams perform in Europe this season. But either way, both of these sides could very easily be playing in Europe next season. We would all love to see Werder Bremen back in European competition. And I'm sure those five Hoffenheim fans would love to see Hoffenheim back in Europe as well. So this game, really big implications in that race. In the Sveita Bundesliga, my game of the weekend, Hanover against Fortuna Dusseldorf, Saturday, 1 o'clock kickoff. And this game massive in the race for promotion. Hanover, 5th on 37 points. Fortuna Dusseldorf, 7th, just 1 point behind. Now, depending on how other results go in the Sveita Bundesliga this weekend, this could be a real make-or-break game for these two sides' promotion hopes. If Holstein Kiel and HSV... Both win their games. Holstein Kiel are away at Hertha Berlin. HSV are at home to Osnabrück. If they both win their games, then they move on to 45 and 44 points respectively. And that would mean that if Hanover lose, they would be 7 points behind third with 10 to go. And Dusseldorf would be 8 points behind third with 10 to go. So this really could be the difference between them staying in that race for promotion and their chances being very close to zero. If if either of them lose this game, they would have to go on quite the spectacular run afterwards to try and stay up. Finally, my game of the weekend in the Dritter Liga, our against Prussia Munster. It is a Saturday, 
two o'clock kickoff. I obviously picked Al last week and that game finished 0-0, so I'm I'm hoping this won't be a repeat, but this is very similar to the game in the Spider Bundesliga in the sense that they are both fringe promotion contenders, though if they fail to win this weekend and Ulm win and Dresden win, then their chances of getting promoted go down drastically. Prussia Munster currently five points off Ulm in third. SBGL currently six points off Ulm. So those gaps could grow to eight and nine points with ten to play if results go the wrong way for either of these two sides. So win vital for both. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the Going Deutsch podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to be back next week with even more from the wonderful world of German football. And next time I speak to you, the leap day will have gone and will be in March. And it will finally start to feel like we're on the way to warmer weather. But anyway, for the time being, I've been Alex Woodward. And until we meet again, I'll be the same.